Hello, everyone. I'm Billy. And I'm Kamran. Welcome to the Horse Frog Podcast, home of your two favorite professional digressors and the creators of the Malazan Brotherhood. Today, we'll be discussing Book 3, Chapter 12 of Deadhouse Gates, a novel in the Malazan Books of the Fallen. This is Part 2 of our coverage of this chapter. This podcast series is intended to be a companion to reading or listening to the books set in the Malazan universe. It's not a book review, and it is most definitely not intended to be a replacement to reading the books. Both Billy and I know this Preach. to be the best fantasy story ever written and want to share our love of the series with you. We will be covering the events of the books in a linear fashion. There will be spoilers for those that have not read the books. We'll try not to spoil anything prior to us covering that respective portion of the book, but knowing me and my big mouth, I'm sure, well, you know what? I actually have kind of dropped the ball a wee bit. I spoiled something uh, about a week or two back. I can't even remember what it was, but it was light. So I'm sorry, not overwrought, sorry, just minor sorry, just kind of sorry. You were censored. Oh, okay, right on. <laughs> I bleeped out what the name. <laughs> right on, okay, thanks. Saved I got your back, bell. Billy. Saved by the bell, literally. I'm going to sell the censoring as I got your back. All right. Okay. <laughs> nice. I'll take that. I'll take that. A quick warning. Today's episode contains descriptions of past sorceress violence. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. I have to ask, is it coruscating or non? <laughs> Unknown at this time. Oh, that's true. Perhaps it's ritualistic sorceress violence would be a better or way of describing alchemical? it. Alchemical? Mm. I don't know. Okay. We'll discuss it when we get there. <laughs> okay. Our show is listener supported. If you'd like to support us, we'd really appreciate that. And you can do so by visiting our Patreon link on our website, horsefrogproductions.com. Currently, we're posting ad-free episodes on Patreon weekly. Also, we'd really like to hear from you. Send any feedback or comments to contact at horsefrogproductions.com. And speaking of comments... We received a message from Dane, one of our longtime Patreon subscribers. Dane. <laughs> there you go, Dane. <laughs> Dane notes that we have been hitting the Dune references pretty hard lately. Now, when Billy said that the armies of the apocalypse would have done a lot of spitting in response to the 1300 <laughs> crucified Malazan children vanishing into thin air, Dane couldn't help but think that must be one of the biggest differences between Dune and the Malazan world. Those folks on Arrakis wouldn't be spitting so willy-nilly, as Dane puts it. <laughs> well, so no, no Seven Cities natives on Arrakis then? So, uh, yeah, I, he's right. He does bring a point. Unless they were showing love on Dune or respect. Right. It's to sign a deal. You'd spit in your palm and then shake yeah. hands. Yeah, something like that. Or spit on something that shows honor to share your mm -hmm. moisture. But yeah, only in that case, because yeah, you're you're very conservative with your moisture on there. So he does bring up a very valid point there. Thank you, Dane. Dane. Thank you. <laughs> also, Dane pointed out that when we were talking about Kelonved being so crafty, we never see the full unveiling of his power. And Dane wondered if that just might be the way he is. Some Ascendants probably use Brute Force, Shadow Throne, and the Rope use Guile. Yeah. It seems so much of them and their achievements are playing the long game and getting everyone else to do the fighting for them. Would you agree with that? I do agree. That's nicely pointed out. You know, Shadow Throne is, I get it, he's totally behind the scenes manipulation because it's all going his way anyhow. And he's obviously really good at this. You know, this is not the Dr. Strange Love Doomsday Machine scenario. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Well, you have to tell people about it, but uh, so mm -hmm. guess, what, guess what I just watched this week? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, it's been a while. I had to watch some. I had to watch Strange Love. Okay, it's been easily twenty five years since I've seen that. Oh, I won't go that long. I'll go about four or five years. But one of the guys that did our bunch of our sound and stuff for our videos that we used to do back in the day, he would use a bunch of samples from Strange Love. That was real funny, especially the uh, 
stuff about these sapping and purifying all of our precious bodily fluids. You know, all that stuff is just some of my favorite stuff. So, All right. Thanks for reaching out, Dane. We always yeah, appreciate hearing appreciate from you. It. Some really good points there. All right. Chapter 12, part two. We pick up the chapter with Culp, Felicin, and Hebrick. The last time we saw them, they were running from the whirlwind. Culp watched as the blowing sand had bored holes into the mesa's sides. The wind devoured the cliff face, hole after hole appearing, the walls between them thinning, some collapsing, the tunnels widening. The mantle of the plateau remained, however, a vast cap of stone perched on ever-dwindling foundations. Culp had never seen anything like it. He thought, as if the whirlwinds deliberately attacked it. Why lay siege to a rock? The tunnels shrieked with the wind, each one with its own febrile pitch, creating a fierce chorus. Culp glanced back to where Hebrick and Felicin waited. The whirlwind had denied them all shelter for three days now, as if the mad goddess had singled them out. The possibility was not as unlikely as it first seemed. The malevolent will was palpable. Culp thought, we're intruders, after all. The whirlwind's focus of hate has always been on those who do not belong. Poor Malazan Empire, to have stepped into such a ready-made mythos of rebellion. Culp scrambled back to the others. He had to lean close to be heard above the endless roar. He shouted, There's caves! Only the winds plunging down their throats. I suspect it's cut right through the hill. Hebrick was shivering, beset since morning by a fever born of exhaustion. He was weakening fast. It was almost dusk, and Culp estimated they had traveled little more than a league in the past 12 hours. Man, that's really slow pace. Mm, yes. This is so grueling to me. I'm kind of glad we didn't cover them doing that forced 72-hour march in the sand because that's grueling sounding you would be close to madness in some way not maybe madness but just the exhaustion i can't imagine that i think it would be really really difficult so the winds were really bad and then the sand's in the air and it's attacking them from all directions yeah for 72 hours straight you probably wouldn't want to put up with that for 10 15 minutes and then no. now that they're unprepared they have no water they really don't have enough clothing to fully protect themselves it would be maddening really difficult to deal with yeah and it's the younger ones obviously are much better equipped than the older you know Habor is worn down and he's got something helping him yes they had no water no food hood stalked their heels felicin clutched culp's tattered cloak pulling him closer her lips were split sand gumming the corners of her mouth she shouted, we try anyway. Culp said, I don't know, that whole hill could come down. Felicin shouted, the caves, we go into the caves. Culp thought, die out here or die in there. At least the caves offer us a tomb for our corpses. He gave a sharp nod. They half dragged Hebrick between them. They made no effort to select a cave in the cliff face. They plunged into the first cave mouth they came to, a wide, strangely flattened tunnel that seemed to run level, at least for the first few paces. The wind was a hand at their backs. Darkness swept around them as they staggered on. The floor had been sculpted into ridges, making walking difficult. Fifteen paces on, they stumbled onto an outcropping of quartzite or some other crystalline mineral that resisted the erosive wind. They worked their way around it and found in its lee the first surcease from the whirlwind's battering force in over 70 hours. <sighs> I was thinking about what this would be like being in the wind for that long. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it'd be kind of like riding a motorcycle with no helmet or glasses at a hundred miles an hour for an extended period of time. Oh, in a sandstorm, by yes. the way. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
So, so question, is that still equivalent to like a hard day's parenting? <laughs> when your kids are oh, always man. like... <laughs> as hard as parenting is, this is pure torture. It is. The sandstorm situation. You have no choice. You know, with the kids, you can probably find little pockets of peace here and yes. there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Your, little, your own surcease, shall we say? Hebrick sagged in their arms. They set him down at the base of the outcropping. Culp yelled, I'd like to scout ahead. Felicin nodded and lowered herself to her knees. Another 30 paces took Culp to a larger cavern. More quartzite filled the space, reflecting a faint luminescence from what appeared to be a ceiling of crushed glass 15 feet above him. The quartzite rose in vertical veins. The gleaming pillars created a gallery effect of startling beauty. Despite the racing wind's dust-filled stream, Culp strode forward. The piercing shriek dimmed, losing itself in the vastness of the cavern. Does this description evoke the Fortress of Solitude to you in any way? Not so much the crust glass on the ceiling, but the crystals forming the walls and kind of luminescent? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And this is a real big, this here, I think this whole bit, and we probably probably for you both, I think is a big core memories. A lot of lot of them in this for some reason, especially the stuff. Yeah, very fortress of solitude. And for those unfamiliar with that, that's Superman's lair, if you will. Yes. yes. <laughs> Did he have one in the new movies, or was that just the Christopher Reeve one? In that Man of Steel, which I just absolutely love, he's kind of got that spaceship. He goes to his old Kryptonian spaceship, but that's the only thing that gives us an idea of any, you know, anything else. But that's about it. Not really. So it's really the Christopher Reeve one I'm talking about, the, yes. the original Superman movie. Yeah. Yes. And okay. that's, that's, that's old. That's old stuff. Anyhow, he used to have, man, when I was a kid, I read some stuff where he, I'm not kidding you, dude. He had this fortress of solitude in the Arctic or Antarctic, one or the other. And it's got this huge door. And it's got this enormous key that take like 15 sky hook kind of cranes, you know, to, to do it. But he just kind of you know, has it parked on a hill so he can fly over there and pick it up and open the door to his place. So that's old school, 50s, 60s. But I like what they did with it there. Then that version, that's a real, those are good ones. That, in particular, that first one. It was the first legitimate looking one. I was thinking about how he doesn't get cold in there. Mm-hmm. Is he immune to cold? Think about I it. I guess he can go to outer space. Go to outer space, no problem. So okay. he has so that stuff he's he's not cold at all because it, imagine this if you have the density of body to withstand bullets and stuff it's harder than concrete or anything like that it really would take a whole lot to make that stuff cold he yeah he he lives in the sun as an old 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 man in the in one alternate future so I mean yeah he's pretty tough <laughs> all right I guess he gets cold natured in his old age he has to live in the sun. <laughs> As his metabolism slows down, he needs more heat from the sun. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Closer to the center of the cavern rose a heap of tumbled stones, their shapes too regular to be natural. The glittering substance of the ceiling covered them in places, a single side of their vaguely rectangular forms, Culp realized after a moment's examination. He ran a hand along one such side. He thought, hood's breath, it's glass in truth, multicolored, crushed and compacted. He looked up. A large hole gaped in the ceiling, its edges glowing with that odd, cool light. Culp hesitated, then opened his warren. He grunted and thought, nothing. Queen's blessing. No sorcery. It's mundane. Culp made his way back to the others. He found them both asleep or unconscious. He studied them and felt a chill at the composed finality he saw in their dehydrated features. He thought, might be more merciful not to awaken them. 
As if sensing his presence, Felicity opened her eyes. They filled with instant awareness. She said, you'll never have it that easy. I don't know if she said it in that tone, but. Right. <laughs> Might as well. Have. Is there a bit of self-awareness there for her? I want to say yes, but each time I do, I'm always so bitterly disappointed <laughs> in Felicity. She always lets mm. me down. So I hope. Why would she be mean to Culp? Dude, why is she mean to anybody? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, I kind of get Bodden and Hebrick. I get Bodden because because uh, Hebrick, she should have no ill will toward because Hebrick's been pretty nice to her and always been very indulgent, like a grandfather who puts up with little temper tantrums. Bodden, on the other hand, you know, is paid to you know help protect her. So he, she's a job to him and he could care less to some extent. But he does care because he's sworn loyalty to somebody and so therefore cares about honor. And so he at least tries to get her out. But it's, you know, uh, it's hard to say with this gal, man. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why she just hates. I mean, I, I do get why she's angry at everybody. Sure. But maybe that's just how she is right now. It's, it's her mechanism, I guess. Survival mechanism. Yeah. You will pay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just couldn't help that. <laughs> Man. Oh. Culp said, this hill's a buried city, and we're under what's buried. She said, so? Culp said, the winds got into one chamber at least, emptied it of sand. She stated, our tomb. Culp admitted, maybe. She said, all right, let's go. Culp didn't move. He said, one problem. The way in is about 15 feet over our heads. There's a pillar of quartzite, but it wouldn't be an easy climb, especially not in our condition. She said, do your Warren trick. Culp <laughs> asked, what? She said, open a gate. Culp stared at her and then said, it's not that simple. She said, dying's simple. Culp blinked. He said, let's get the old man on his feet then. Hebrick's eyes were blistered shut, weeping grit-filled tears. Slow to awaken, he clearly had no idea where he was. His wide mouth split into a ghastly smile. He asked, They tried it here, didn't they? Tried it and paid for it. Oh, the memories of water, all those wasted lives. They arrived at the place of the breach ceiling. Felicin laid a hand on the quartzite column nearest the hole. She said, I'd have to climb this like a doci does a coconut palm. Culp asked, And how's that done? Hebrick muttered, Reluctantly then cocked his head as if he heard voices. Felicin glanced at Culp and said, I'll need those straps from your belt. Culp grunted and began removing the leather band at his waist. He said, damn strange time to be wanting to see me without my breeches, lass. She said, we can all do with the laugh. <laughs> Culp handed her the belt and watched as she affixed the binding strips at each end to her ankles. He winced at how savagely she tightened the knots. She said, now, what's left of your rain cloak, please? Culp asked, and what's wrong with your tunic? Felicin said, no one gets to ogle my breasts, not for free anyway. Besides, that cloak's a tougher weave. Hebrick said, there was retribution, a methodical, dispassionate cleaning up of the mess. As he pulled off his cloak, Culp scowled down at Hebrick. He asked, what are you going on about, Hebrick? Hebrick said, first empire, the city above. They came and put things aright. Immortal custodians, such a debacle. Even with my eyes closed, I can see my hands. They're groping blind, so blind now, so empty. He sank down, suddenly racked with shuddering grief. Felicin said, never mind him. The old toad's lost his god and it's broken his mind. Culp said nothing. 
Felicin reached around the column and linked her hands on the other side by gripping two ends of the cloak and twisting them taut. The belt between her feet hugged this side of the pillar. Culp said, ah, I see. Clever doci. Felicin hitched the cloak as high as she could on the opposite side, then leaned back and in a jerking motion, jumped a short distance upward, knees drawn up, the belt snapping against the pillar. He saw the pain rip through her as the bindings dug into her ankles. Culp said, I'm surprised the doci have feet. Felicin gasped as she said, guess I got some minor detail wrong. Culp did not think she would make it. Before she had gone two arm spans, a full body's length from the ceiling, her ankles streamed blood. She trembled all over, using unimaginable but quickly waning reserves of energy. Yet she did not stop. Culp thought, this is a hard, hard creature. She surpasses us all again and again. What do you think drives Phyllis in here? Vengeance against Tavora, or is it simply survival instinct? I think it's pretty much plain old-fashioned vengeance. She has fixed her heart on doing wrong to anyone that's done her wrong. This seems to be where she gets her strength to carry on like Paul trying to get revenge on the Harkonnens for killing his Paul. Here we go. First student reference. (laughs) (laughs) Still trying to figure out how to work a strange love reference in here, but not much about revenge in that film. (laughs) Dune is a wee bit more complicated than that, but that's what the first one's about pretty much. Let's be real. Yeah. I'm watching it again. I'm watching the miniseries again, the sci-fi miniseries. Okay. I like that. It's kind of dry. I mean, it's, you know, it's not particularly great, but you know, it's got the story. I'm happy. <laughs> I didn't like how they changed the pronunciation of the names almost as if to spite the original movie. It's like they yeah. had to change it just to change it. Yeah. Maybe they're being intellectual. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I get real attached to the original works. Hey, it took us a while to get over Malazan, didn't it? <laughs> it used to be Malazan as far as you and I were concerned. <laughs> yeah. That was hard. We're a year and a half into it. So, mm-hmm. well, actually, we've only been covering these books for like a year and two months now. True. Yeah. We it's just got great. over 50% in this book, actually. Really? Okay, right on. Nice. I agree with you about Vengeance driving her here. I think yeah. that's probably her core motivation at this point. Yeah. Secondary to that, her climbing this quartzite pillar reminded me of a short that I saw about these indigenous people somewhere near India. It wasn't in India. It might've been kind of around Bangladesh Mm -hmm. where they climb coconut trees or whatever trees they have in the jungle there. Yeah. But they don't use straps on their feet like this. They they clamp their feet to the trees. I've seen them folks do that, man. But their toes, their big toe is spread out. So it almost looks like a thumb. It spreads (laughs) to the side because the load that they put on it is crazy. And it kind of makes you wonder we wear shoes, which kind of force our toes into not great positioning as we're growing up, kind right. of mess our feet up a little bit. It kind of makes you wonder, like, if you grew up barefoot your whole life, it would be more like that. Or if the body just adjusts to whatever it's doing at any given time. I think our bodies are remarkably adaptive. And yeah, if you don't wear shoes or like like some of those fellows that run, uh, like think about the fellows that from Africa that run against us in the Olympics and how fast they are. And I've heard some of the stories of these dudes like from Kenya. Grow, yeah. Like they grow up. Some of these guys, like they're running supplies up and down mountains for folks who are, you know, on oxygen and stuff up climbing these mountains, but they're just kind of running up and down, running. Them oh, you're talking about the Sherpas, supply. right? Yeah. Kind of like the Sherpas. Yeah. I guess like that, but you're like, dude, those guys get accustomed to certain things. And so that, you know, they make those kind of adaptations with their bodies do like, cause think about that getting used to living with lower oxygen and being able to run and stuff like that. It's crazy. 
crazy does flatlanders down here <laughs> yeah after culp thought about felicin being a hard hard creature he thought about Baden, who had been banished likely to be somewhere out there suffering the storm culp thought another hard one stubborn and stolid how fare you talon felicin finally came to within reach of the hole's ragged edge and there she hesitated culp thought i now what felicin shouted culp he answered yes Felicin asked, how close are my feet to you? Culp said, maybe three arm spans. Why? Felicin said, prop Hebrick beside the pillar. Climb onto his shoulders. Culp asked, in Hood's name, what for? Felicin said, you got to reach my ankles, then climb over me. I can't let go. Nothing left. Culp thought, gods, I am not as hard as you, lass. He said, I think. Felicin interrupted, do it. We have no choice, damn you. Culp hissed and swung to Hebrick. He said, old man, can you understand me? Hebrick. Hebrick straightened, then grinned. He said, remember the hand of stone, the finger? The past is an alien world, powers unimagined. To touch is to recall someone else's memories, someone so unlike you in thought and senses that they beckon you into madness. All this Hebrick stuff sounds like madness now, but it will mm. make sense in time because he yes. has seen things. You know what's crazy? I didn't realize what he was saying till just now. <laughs> Culp thought, hand of stone, the bastard's raving. He said, I need to climb onto your shoulders, Hebrick. You need to stand firm. Once we get up, we'll rig a harness to pull you up, okay? Hebrick said, on my shoulders, a mountain of stone each one carved and shaped by a lifelong since lost to hood. How many yearnings, desires, secrets? Where does it all go? The unseen energy of life's thoughts is food for the gods. Did you know that? This is why they must be fickle. Felicin wailed, mage, now! <laughs> Culp stepped behind Hebrick and set his hands on his shoulders. He said, stand steady now. Instead, Hebrick turned to face him. He brought both wrists together, leaving a space between them where hands should be. He said, step, I'll launch you straight to her. Culp said, Hebrick, you've no hands to hold my foot. I bet Culp thinks he's completely <laughs> lost his mind at this point. Absolutely. What's funny is he should be the one that kind of understands it almost, because remember, he's made that observation about, he says, it looks like one's holding on to something and the other's, you know, looks like you've got hands when I look at you with my Warren, but one's doing so i forgot one's clasped something about holding on to things like he can't let go of them right so he sees but I, yeah at this point you would think he'd lost his ever-loving mind <laughs> hebrick's grin broadened he said humor me something pushed cult beyond wonder as his moccasined foot settled into the firm stirrup of interlaced fingers he could not see he placed his hands on hebrick's shoulders once again hebrick said straight up you'll go i'm blind position me mage Culp said, back a step, a little more, there. Hebrick asked, ready? Culp said, aye. But he wasn't prepared for the immense surge of strength that lifted him, flung him effortlessly straight up. Culp made an instinctive grab for Felicin, missed, luckily, as he was then past her, through the ceiling's hole. He almost fell straight back down. A panicked twisting of his upper body, however, landed him painfully on an edge. It groaned, then sagged. Culp's fingers clawed unseen flagstones. He clambered onto the floor. Felicin's voice keened from below. Mage, where are you? Feeling a slightly hysterical grin frozen on his face, Culp said, Up here. I'll have you in a moment, lass. 
Hebrick used his invisible hands to swiftly climb the makeshift rope of leather and cloth that Culp sent snaking down ten minutes later. Seated nearby in the small, gloomy chamber, Felicin silently watched with fear racing unchecked within her. What do you think she's so afraid of? Maybe she's kind of freaking out on Hebrick because somehow this man with no hands climbed a rope. That'd be kind of unsettling to see while you're in this ghost town, soon to be your tomb. And you think that you're going to be the one to get out of here alive, maybe, but you realize you may not, you're not. The only one that may survive this is going to be him. And he may not be as mad as he looks <laughs> and as he behaves. Yeah, I'll come back to that in a little bit. Let me read okay. this next thing. Okay. Felicin's body tortured her with pain. Fine white dust coated the blood on her ankles and where the pillar's crystalline edges had scored her wrists. She shook uncontrollably. She thought that old man looked dead on his feet. Dead. He was burning up, yet his ravings were not just empty words. There was knowing in them, impossible knowing. And now his ghost hands have become real. So I guess to your point, it is all of that stuff added together. <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot about it. I must have remembered it somewhere in my brain. But yes, that's kind of, yeah, that would be unsettling. Especially that stuff when he's been raving about being in here. It's like, so is he not crazy? <laughs> he's talking about seeing memories and all this other stuff. Yeah. And just to put some perspective on things for her, she's seen some pretty crazy stuff since they left Skull Cup mm. between the undead dragon and then the wound in the sky that made her sick yeah. in the other realm that was flooded. Yeah. So this is maybe, would you rate this the third craziest thing she's seen after those two? Or would you put this higher up? I don't up? know. Think about that entirety of their time on the Salanda. Not just the Warren wound, not just the dragon. There's the crazy mage that doesn't, he's not even trying maliciously to chase them. He's just after them for some unknown reason. The heads, the bodies with no heads pumping down. Oh, yeah. I forgot about them. Yeah. How could I forget about them? And, you know, you've got all this craziness just in that. It's been nothing but one wild, sick ride for this 15 year old girl or however old she is. She's real young, I know. But it's like, that's pretty harsh. <laughs> it's lucky that she's got any sanity left. I mean, this stuff, some of this stuff almost drove Stormy and Truth over the edge. Oh, yeah. And so those are, those, hard are some, those are some hard boys. That's right. Those are some real hard fellas. And it's like, wow. So bitterness is a coping tool and vengeance may not be the best, but hey, it's at least maintaining a grip on reality. So, you know, it's working for. It's kind of like the Overton window where the craziness, you just keep pushing what's normal yeah. outward. <laughs> right? <Yeah>. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is know, the this, new this, norm. Yeah, this is this new normal. Yeah, he's got to get used to it. Back to the point about humans adapting to life. Yeah. Felicin glanced over at Culp, who was frowning at the torn shambles of the rain cloak in his hands. Then he sighed and swung his gaze to a silent study of Hebrick, who seemed to be sinking back into his fevered stupor. Culp had conjured a faint glow to the chamber, revealing bare stone walls. You wouldn't think a mage of shadow could cast light. Is it the illusion of light that he's casting is it not only the illusion is it the illusion of the room <laughs> it, mm. would have to be, it would have to be the entire thing yeah not just the light it's like here's light and here's a room there you go yeah some of the decisions that mr erickson made here about how culp uses magic have been pretty interesting do you think maybe in this world 
that all magic users to some extent have a variation on a light spell, a magic missile spell, a fireball spell or something. You know, we've got some kind of variations for each of our warrens, but they're kind of we can use them as assistance, not just for attack and defense, but just kind of like things like this survival and other things, some kind of alternate use. So it's like the level zero spells they all have. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Ghost hand, or was it yes. mage hand? And then <laughs> I can't remember the new stuff, but just but before, yeah, before it gets kind of like uh, before you pick your practice, you mm -hmm. know, before you select your uh, your group, whether you're going to be Mianus or whatever selects you, however that works. Yeah, I know fireball. I know, <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. I know magic missile. I know this. I'd mm -hmm. like, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So that you bring that with you. It's like, okay, cool. I still have this old spell from my old days before I selected my vocation. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just kind of curious. Maybe, you know, given their background of gaming, it's possible yes. that that's how they're thinking about it. Maybe. I don't know. Cause it's, I can't think of it. What's so I, as, I don't want to say it's bad. It's just so, there's this is such a big work. I can't think of anything specific on magic stuff. When I think of magic, it's always huge groups of folks doing huge horrific things to others with some minor stuff thrown in here and there on the side, but it's always escalating. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I don't, I can't recall specifics about things at this point, but um, hopefully we will and uh, see. Maybe this will, maybe we'll have this question answered as other. Maybe Ben will answer some stuff for us in the next book. Because he does some crazy stuff there, doesn't he? He does, but Ben's a unique case. That is true. Because he has access to so many different Warrens. Culp seemingly only has access to Mianus. It's like your standard, is your standard cadre mage. Yes. I know, I, I'm, I'm this group. He undersells himself. He undersells himself big time. Given what we've seen him do, he's very yes. squirrely. He comes up with some really unique solutions to the problems that they have. He's innovative. Yeah. <laughs> Saddled steps rose along one wall to a solid-looking door. At the base of the wall opposite, round indentations ran in a row on the floor, each of a size to fit a cask or key. Rust-pitted hooks depended on chains from the ceiling at the room's far end. Everything seemed blunted to Felicin's eyes. Either it was strangely worn down, or the effect was a product of the mage's sorcerous light. She shook her head and wrapped her arms around herself to fight the trembling. Culp said, that was some climb you managed, lass. She grunted, and pointless, as it turns out. She thought, and now it's likely to kill me. There was more to making that climb than just muscle and bone. I feel emptied, with nothing left in me to rebuild. She laughed. Culp asked, what? Felicin said, we found a cellar for a tomb. Culp said, I ain't ready to die yet. Felicin retorted, lucky you. She watched him totter to his feet. He looked around and said, this room was flooded once with water that flowed. I assume this is based on Felicin's earlier observation that everything looked worn down. So he's noticing the erosion to come to that conclusion. Do you agree with that? I would have to assume that because the place that's all of a sudden appeared to be recently more bored out than usual. I don't know how you'd be able to tell. And, well, I'm guessing down here the wind hasn't reached because they're obviously getting some relief from the wind here so i guess it's not mm -hmm. reached down here so i guess you'd be able to tell a difference between that and sand erosion i guess i got no idea <laughs> i'm not i'm not an archaeologist <laughs> or a geologist i guess that's more of a geology thing but the sand erosion is probably more like a sandblaster and it would leave things a little bit more pitted than okay. water smooth. erosion which is very smooth yeah okay that's probably it then that's my take on it
Felicin asked, from where to where? This in reference to where the water was flowing. Culp shrugged and approached the stairs in a slow, labored shuffle. Felicin thought, he looks a century old, as old as I feel. Together, we can't make up even one hebrick. I'm learning to appreciate irony, at least. After some minutes, Culp finally reached the door. He laid a hand against it and said, bronze sheeting. I can feel the hammer strokes that flattened it. He wrapped a knuckle on the dark metal. The sound that came was a rustling, sifting whisper. He said, Woods rotted behind it. The latch broke in his hand. Colt muttered a curse, then set his weight against the door and pushed. The bronze crackled and crumpled inward. A moment later, the door fell back, taking Culp with it in a cloud of dust. Hebrick said, Barriers are never as solid as one thinks. <laughs> he stood holding his stubbed arms out before him. He went on. I understand this now. To a blind man, his entire body is a ghost, felt but not seen. Thus, I raise invisible arms, move invisible legs, my invisible chest rising and falling to unseen air. So now I stretch fingers, then make fists. I am everywhere solid, and always have been, if not for the deceit perpetrated by my own eyes. Felicin looked away from Hebrick and said, Maybe if I go deaf, you'll disappear. Hebrick laughed. At the landing, Culp was making moaning sounds, his breath oddly harsh and labored. She pushed herself upright, stumbling as pain closed around her ankles. She gritted her teeth and hobbled to the stairs. The eleven steps left her reeling with exhaustion. She fell to her knees beside Culp and waited a long minute before her breathing steadied. She asked, You all right? Culp lifted his head and said, Broke my damn nose, I think. <laughs> Felicin said, From that new accent, I'd say you were right. I take it you'll live then, Culp said loudly, then rose to his hands and knees. Thick blood hung in dusty threads from his face. He said, see what's ahead? Ain't had a chance to look yet. This scene with Culp falling down and barely able to get up cracks me up. How is it he's always getting messed up so badly? Do you think he's accident prone? He could be. He just, yeah, he could have bad reflexes and he, maybe he's older than we think. I don't, I'm not sure how old Culp is supposed to be. I always pictured him around Hebrick's age. Which is? Old. Okay. Okay. Well, I wasn't they call sure him old like, man. Yeah. Well, she said here he looked a century old, so I'm like, are you thinking 70s? I'm, I'm, you know, something yeah, like I'm that? Thinking, or... I'm thinking 60s, 70s. You know, okay. Like, okay. Yeah. Like grandpa. I was, never, I was never sure. Part of me feels like that, but then sometimes I feel like the way Culp gets around and gets onto things and things are going, I'm like, well, maybe he's only like 50 or like a young 60. <laughs> Well, to a mage being that old isn't that old. Tattersall was 200 old. and she looked yeah. fairly young. Yes. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I've never really had, you know, that's the thing with a lot of these people that Erickson has. I like so many of them, but most of them, I don't really have big images on them because they're just so close as friends that you just don't notice things other than just like uh, their traits. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's like I don't think about because I don't think about a lot of descriptions a lot of times. And uh, so Culp's one I never really think about age or anything. He's just like this sounds like a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a very clear image of him in my mind of what he looks like. Unlike Krupp or Quick, I've got some pretty definitive Quick and Kalam in a way. I don't have Kalam's face really. No, I have his got... stature yeah. very clearly in my mind, and Quick Ben to some extent as well. I have a better picture of Quick Ben than I do of Kalam in terms of what yeah. his face looks like. Agreed. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. 
most of them, I don't really don't have a lot of facial impressions. It's really like a vague image of, okay, Whiskey Jack has a beard, you know, yeah. or Stormy has this crazy red hair and a red beard, you know. I love that. That's something about Erickson that I think is very unique. And so much of what he does, and you've pointed this out to me before about one of the reasons why he has never selected stuff himself is because then he's putting his finger on something. And a lot of the brilliance of this is letting you think what you think. And that makes it very unique to me because so many books I read, they always want to spell out how someone looks and I always discard it. <laughs> I don't care. It's like, because uh, if, if it's the hero of the book, it's kind of like, you know, they, they don't refer to the, in a video game, you know, they don't refer to you in the video game a lot of times because they want, they don't have a lot of voicing for the main character sometimes because they want you to think this is you. And so I discard some of that stuff, but here you don't have a lot. Erickson just leaves it deliberately vague and brilliantly so, I think. Over Christmas, I was talking to my mom and my brother-in-law. My mom's working her way through the series. My brother-in-law has read the series. And we were talking about, I can mention this because they've been mentioned a couple of times, what we thought the Kachain Chamal looked like. Right. And I'm not going to get too far into it, but the point of it here is we all had different impressions when we started really describing them, what they look like. And we looked up some art online for them. And mm -hmm. it's crazy the variance that you see yes. between yes. <laughs> what people draw these things to look like. I can't wait to talk about this when we get I, to a point where they're actually described. Remember that well, I sent you a meme that's my favorite impression of them. And it was from Calvin and Hobbes. And it was T-Rexes in B-52s. Uh-huh. It was just, for some reason, that image is like, that's the Kachin Jamal. Absolutely. It was just like, wow, this is horrifying. It'll be enjoyable to talk about them because there is that one series of books that I think I mentioned it to you before. It's like East of Eden, where it's an alternate universe. The reptiles grew up and became just as smart as we are. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like when we were still in tribes hunting mammoth and stuff like that. Yeah. But then they have this advanced society, but their technology is all natural. They would genetically modify a whale and make it into a, a transport to get across the ocean. Or oh, okay. they would modify these things that shoot darts out of them that are poisonous, but it's a living creature, but it's genetically modified to become like a weapon for them. Ooh. Really cool series of books, actually. Okay, It was Very enjoyable. Cool. Uh, it's a trilogy. I probably need to reread those. It was, it was yeah. pretty cool. But yeah, look, okay. But I'm like, yeah, I look forward to talking about these later books because yeah, think about how exciting Deadhouse is, and it's like Deadhouse, as amazing as it is, it's kind of like where you really light the fuse. <laughs> I'm curious when we get to Memories of Ice, what it's going to be like because um, I'm hearing some people. I think particularly my mom, as she went through, she said, "Yeah, it feels like Deadhouse Gates is a lot more even with its action, whereas." with memories of ice it's this long slow build-up it does like have, there's I a couple remember. of things here and there but like really it's less action oriented so i'm curious how slow it's going to be for us to get through yeah i remember there being a lot of character development on a couple of folks there as we're setting up the events and i know it's a little bit of a build of the events but once it gets on dude it's it's on yeah <laughs> it's merciless all of his stuff is relentless it's it's just all merciless in one way or another. There's, there's something that's going to be this brutal and merciless. Yeah. I'm just talking about the pacing of it though. Oh, oh. Felicin looked ahead, then said, it's dark. The air smells. Culp asked, like what? She shrugged and said, not sure. Lime as in limestone. That is Culp said, not bitter fruit. I'm surprised. They heard Hebrick's approach. A glow rose ahead, raising vague highlights that slowly etched the scene. Felicin stared. 
Culp said, your breaths quicken, lass. He was still unwilling or unable to lift his head. <laughs> he said, tell me what you're seeing. Hebrick's voice echoed from halfway up the stairs. Remnants of a ritual gone awry is what she's seeing. Frozen memories of ancient pathos. Felicin said, sculptures sprawled all over the floor. It's a big room, very big. The light doesn't reach the far end. Culp asked, wait, you said sculptures? What kind? Felicin said, people, carved as if lying around. At first, I thought they were real. Culp asked, and why don't you think that anymore? Felicin said, well, as she crawled forward. The nearest one was a dozen paces away, a nude woman of advanced years, lying on her side as if dead or sleeping. The stone she had been fashioned from was dull white, limed and mottled with mold. Every wrinkle of her withered body had been artfully rendered, no detail left out. She looked down on the peaceful aged face and thought, Lady Gason, this woman could be her sister. Felicin reached out. Culp said, don't touch anything, mind. I'm still seeing stars, but I've got raised hackles that says there's sorcery in that chamber. Felicin withdrew her hand and sat back. She said, they're just statues. Culp asked, on pedestals? Felicin said, well, no, just on the floor. The light suddenly brightened and filled the chamber. Felicin looked back to see Culp on his feet, leaning against the crumbled doorframe. He growled, sculptures last, not a chance. A warren's ripped through here. Hebrick said, some gates should never be opened. As he blithely stepped past Culp, he walked to Felicin's side where he stopped, cocking his head and smiling. He said, her daughter chose the path of the soul taken. A fraught journey, that. She was hardly unique. The twisted route was a popular alternative to ascension. More earthly, they claimed. In older, and that which was old was in high favor in the last days of the First Empire. Hebrick paused, sudden sorrow visible on his face. He said, It was understandable that the elders of the day sought to ease their children's chosen path, sought to create a new version of the old, risk-laden one, for that had crumbled, weakened, was cancerous. Too many of the Empire's young were being lost, and never mind the wars to the west. Culp had laid a hand on Hebrick's shoulder. It was as if the touch closed a valve. Hebrick raised a ghost hand to his face, then sighed. Too easy to become lost. Culp said, we need water. Does her memory hold such knowledge? Hebrick said, this was a city of springs, fountains, baths, and canals. Felicin said, probably filled with sand, one and all. Culp said, maybe not, as he glanced around with bloodshot eyes. The break in his nose was a bad one. The swelling cracked the skin on either side. He said, this one's been emptied out recently. Feel how the air still stirs. Felicin eyed the woman at her feet. She said, she was once real then flesh. Culp said, aye, they all were. Hebrick said, alchemies that slowed aging. Six, seven centuries for each citizen. The ritual killed them, yet the alchemies remained potent. The alchemical potions of longevity have been confirmed. We talked nice. about that a couple weeks ago, didn't we? Yes, exactly. We were talking about alchemies and stuff like that. Yes. So this is a confirmation. Duiker had mentioned it, right? Yes, you're correct. Culp said, then water deluged the city, mineral rich. Hebrick said, turning not just bone to stone, but flesh as well. The flood was born of distant events. The immortal custodians had already come and gone. Culp asked, what immortal custodians, old man? Hebrick said, there may yet be a spring, not far. Felicin said, lead on, blind man. Culp said, I've got more questions. 
Hebrick smiled and said, later, our immediate journey shall explain much. One thing about Culp and breaking his nose and him coming across as kind of comic, boy, that would be a paddling. <laughs> I mean, get your nose broke like that does ring your bell from what I understand. I've not had it happen, but <laughs> that would ring your bell. Yeah. If you even just barely get hit in the nose, not even breaking yeah. it, it's very painful. Yes. That I've done. <laughs> Pumped my nose really good. Yeah. It makes the eyes water and hurt and you're like, wow. But yeah, breaking it. That's tough. Yeah. It's pretty tough. The chamber's mineralized occupants were all elderly and numbered in the hundreds. Their deaths appeared to be one and all peaceful ones, which had a vaguely disquieting effect on Felicin. This room is one of my core memories from the book. Yes. It's really not just this room. It's this whole thing. And for some reason, this has this really reminiscent to me. If, if you ever, I'm a huge Lovecraft guy, H.P. Lovecraft. And it's not this ritual in particular. It's just long, dead, ancient, buried cities and maybe other races or other, you know, other things like this magic or whatever. It's just strange things like this always kind of dig that out. It's just this. I love this great unknown of what is going on here. We're not going to ever find, I don't think we even find out anything on this one. This is just one of these strange mysteries that goes on in this world. <laughs> yeah, it's unveiled little by little. We're getting a little bit of it here. I like how he trickles it. That's real. It's awesome. Felicin thought, not all ends are tortured. Hood's indifferent to the means. So the priests claim anyway. Yet his greatest harvests come from war, disease, and famine. Those countless ages of deliverance must surely have marked the high king of death. Disorder crowds his gates, and there's a flavor to that. Quiet genocide must ring very different bells. She felt Hood was with her now, in these hours, and those since their return to this world. She found herself musing on him as if he was her lover. She thought, and now, I fear only Hebrick and Culp. It said gods fear mortals more than they do each other. Is that the source of my terror? Have I captured an echo of Hood within me? The god of death must surely dream rivers of blood. Perhaps I have been his all this time. Thus, I am blessed. Hebrick turned suddenly, seeming to regard her with his sunburned, swollen, shut eyes. Felicin thought, can you now read my mind, old man? Hebrick's mouth twisted wryly. After a moment, he swung back and continued on. Do you think he did read her mind there? I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this old boy here, but it's, it's a possibility. Why else would he look at her? Yeah. You know, it's because it, if he's seeing past... Once those thoughts come out, they're past. Maybe he does hear it in a different way, but maybe he hears it as thought. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he's picking up on something. Yeah. The chamber ended in a portal way that funneled their path into a low ceiling tunnel. Past torrents of water had smoothed and polished the heavy stones on every side. Colt maintained the diffuse, sourceless light as they stumbled onward. Felicin thought, we shamble like animated corpses, cursed in a journey without end. Hood's own. They came to what had once been a street, narrow and crooked, its cobbles heaved and buckled. Low residential buildings crowded the sides beneath a roof of crusted, compacted glass. Along the walls in sight ran narrow bands of similar substance, as if marking water levels or layers in the sand that had once filled every space. In the street lay more bodies, but there was no peace to be found in their twisted, malformed shapes. Hebrick paused and cocked his head. He said, ah, now we come upon altogether different memories. This scene right here where it's like a city scene, but it's underground and it has a ceiling over it. Mm -hmm. Have you been to Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas? You ever gone to Las Vegas? No, I have not. They have an indoor mall called the Forum and it has shops on both sides, but the ceiling is arched and it has lights 
and it's painted in a way that makes it look like the sky and the oh, lights wow. provide ambiance. So like it, it changes from blue to sunset and then it gets kind of oh. dark and then it goes through cycles every so often. And after a while, you forget that you're inside. Oh, that's wild. Dude. I picture this scene a little bit like that because sure. it's underground, but seemingly it's a similar concept where it was underground to begin with because it has that arch ceiling over it with that crushed glass. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I think what's kind of funny also is this, this is more almost, I feel, Mr. Erickson showing some of his science fiction roots because it's also any of those underground cities with that kind of layout. I always also have a big vibe from the 70s movies, 70s sci-fi, utopian, dark, dystopian actually kind of stuff, but that it appears nice on the surface looks like this too. Even these underground cities would have that same kind of vibe and lighting to make you feel like you're outdoors. Mm-hmm. Culp crouched down beside a figure and said, soul taken, caught in the act of veering into something reptilian. Hebrick said, soul taken and divers. The ritual unleashed powers that ran wild, like a plague, shape-shifting claimed thousands, unwelcomed, no initiation, many went mad. Death filled the city, every street, every house. Families were torn apart by their own. He shook himself, then whispered, all within but a handful of hours. Mm. They were meddling with powers beyond their control. That would be such a nightmare, having an entire city turning into shapeshifters at the same time. Yeah, didn't we talk about this a couple of weeks ago, about talking about the idea of an empire of shapeshifters or divers, and how this was probably not a good idea because it apparently they're not going to work together? <laughs> yeah, I think you had said that the one that rose to the top would have to be strong enough to keep all of them in line. And we were talking a little bit about what we thought that empire would be capable of. Yeah. And I forgot about that until, I mean, I forgot that this was coming right around the bend and here we go. And it's like, well, this is. (laughs) Didn't make it that long. Apparently didn't. Yeah. I was going to say it didn't last very long. So, so apparently we were kind of correct. Culp's eyes fixed on another figure, almost lost in the middle of a pile of mineralized corpses. He said, not just soul taken and divers. Hebrick sighed, no. Felicin approached the subject of Culp's rapt attention. She saw thick, nut-brown limbs, an arm and a leg, still attached to an otherwise dismembered torso. Withered skin wrapped the thick bones. She thought, I've seen this before, on the Salanda, Talani Mass. Culp said, you're immortal custodians. Hebrick said, aye. Culp noted, they took losses here. Hebrick said, oh, that they did. Appalling losses. There is a bond between the Talani mass and soul taken and divers. A mysterious kinship that was unsuspected by the dwellers of this city, though they claim for themselves the proud title of First Empire. That would have irritated the Talani mass, assuming such creatures can feel irritation, to have so boldly assumed a title that rightly belonged to them. Yet what drew them here was the ritual and the need to set things right. Culp frowned and said, our brushes with Soul Taken and the eye mass. What's beginning again, Hebrick? So what killed the Soul Taken and Divers bunch was not turning on each other, but the eye mass wiping them out before they turned bad or something? That's what it sounds like, a cleansing. Thinking about this scene that we're looking at, there are people partially changed in shape. The eye mass is frozen. Something happened that froze this place in time. Now, they had to have had battle. The Talani MS came here to fix something, but something froze this in time. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Interesting. That's creepy. It is. It makes it really strange and eerie, doesn't it? It's like, hmm. Yeah. 
so obviously it was a big ritual where all these soul taken divers came from. But then following that up, what ritual could possibly have frozen all of these people in their tracks? A variation on what turned the Talani mass into what they are? I don't know. Is that what links them all together? Not sure. <laughs> Did you hear that whistling? I was I heard, for yeah, that was, yeah, it was great, dude. It's great. <laughs> Then I was like, is it going to go? Is it going to go? Start talking, it goes. <laughs> yeah, at this point, I don't know that we'll ever get an answer to what actually came here and rose all this stuff. But that idea to me, here's what I'm saying. This is just me. I don't ever put thoughts on this kind of stuff because I'm not really good at thinking this stuff through a lot of times because it's just sometimes not meant to be thought out. It's just, here's a clue. Do with it what you will. But the fact that it's some variation of a ritual and whatever rituals freeze things in time, apparently, you know, we've done something similar to the IMAS to preserve their life as weird and undead as it is. I don't even know if it's true undeath. That's what's so weird about it. You know, I'm not really sure what they're their own kind of undead. They are unique undead. <laughs> they don't fit mm -hmm. any of the undead classifications. And what's funny, I don't know, you know, you know, the old Eastern Europe undead rules cover a lot. Like I think some of that can be qualified as like, um, like werewolves all kinds of various type fairies and other things like that could almost be deemed a type of undead. There's a lot more of them than we know about, especially from the Eastern European era. Well, vampires, undead. Vampires, undead. Werewolves, soul taken. Yeah, zombies are, of course, undead. But we have all kinds of undead in this world, too. We have some smart undead. That's, what's, that's what creeps me out about Erickson's undead. They got some smart ones. <laughs> right. That's, that's the zombies. I mean, yeah, that's, that's bad news. But, you know, it's like liches. It's like they got a, we got liches in this world. It's kind of what they're like. We haven't encountered any necromantic activity yet. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> Culp had asked, what's beginning again? And Hebrick said, I don't know, mage. A return to that ancient gate? Another unleashing? Culp said, that soul-taken dragon we followed. It was undead. Hebrick said, it was Talani Mass, a bone caster. Perhaps it is the old gate's custodian, drawn once again in answer to an impending calamity. Shall we move on? I can smell water. The spring we seek lives yet. So, again, this confirms our suspicions that the dragon they followed out of the Warren of Shadow was a Talani mass. Yeah, good catch. Yeah, I mean, part of it is we're kind of remembering things as well, but there's so it's much true. to remember. <laughs> there's been a, a lot while. to remember. <laughs> Each yeah. book is each book is its own book. That's what's weird, and yet it's not. Yeah, they can stand alone, or you can read into them and see all the little clues that he's placed around. It's wild. They found the pool in the center of a garden. Pale undergrowth carpeted the cracked flagstones on the footpath. White and pink leaves like shreds of flesh, colorless globes of some kind of fruit hung from vines wrapping stone columns and fossilized tree trunks. A garden thriving in darkness. Eyeless white fish darted in the pool, seeking shadows as the sorceress light pulsed bright. Felicin fell to her knees, reached trembling hands down, slipped them into the cool water. The sensation rushed through her with ecstasy. Behind her, Hebrick said, residue of alchemies. Felicin glanced back and asked, what do you mean? Hebrick said, there will be benefits in drinking this nectar. That's mysterious. A fountain of youth, perhaps? Yeah, something like that, or just a healing spring. I think, effectively, that's probably what it will amount to. Yeah. We'll see. Culp asked, is this fruit edible? As he hefted one of the pale globes, Hebrick said, it was when it was bright, 9,000 years ago. Wow. 
All right, we're going to stop there and we'll come back and finish out the chapter next week. For standout moments, the accelerated erosion of the Mesa by the whirlwind was pretty wild. Just the thought that in front of their eyes, this thing was changing yeah. and caves were widening. And I'd be scared to go into that thing. Yeah. The base of it is being eroded to that extent. Absolutely. That's a, and I'm like you, so much of this, so much of everything about this is real core, but that idea that, that you can see the wind is eaten through the soft stone is just, just crazy that you can see it going on in real time. <laughs> The resolve Felicity showed as she climbed the pillar in the most painful way imaginable was pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. And as much as she annoys me a lot of times, I was really impressed with her grit or her moxie right there. <laughs> yeah, she really pushed through. Yes, she's really, really a lot tougher than I give her credit for. So I'll start yeah. being a little more, Think I'll be trying to keep that in the back of my mind here. <laughs> yeah. Hebrick launching Culp using mm. his ghost hands. Yeah. Not only the fact that he had hands, but the strength displayed there. Yeah, big time core memory for that because that's the first emergence of the ghost hands. But yeah, the, the strength, I forget about that. It didn't even say we tried. It just, it's like, if, imagine if he had really put some umph into it. It didn't say he put umph into it. It just kind of just lobbed him up there. <laughs> yeah, 15 feet up there. Yeah. And grown person. Coming out of that wind after being there for three days and you know, blind and everything else. It's like, wow, that's pretty trippy. Mm -hmm. Culp laying there and refusing to get up after <laughs> the door collapsed and he broke his nose. Yeah. Uh, it's too funny, man. It is. It is funny. But that hurts, especially after they've been <laughs> it so, does. If they're so tired. That I guess that's what, that's the insult. That's the injury to insult with that. You know, it's like, we're just wiped out. It's been three days crawling through this. We make it here to some little bit of something and bam. Just break, break my nose. I'm going to lay here for a little bit, man. I'm yeah. Just gonna... Check all my parts, make sure they're okay. Yeah. And then finally, the room full of the fossilized people from the first empire, you know, between the, the old people mm. and then the people that were veering into soul taken or divers, yeah. core memories. Oh, yeah. Really impressive imagery there. Oh, yeah. Big time. And I, I always forget that this is first empire. And the lesson that, that this is first empire that is in fact not the first empires of Atlanta mass is taught to us here. And I kind of forget this because this they keep coming back to first empire a lot here and there. I say this a lot. I just remember in the series, that was something I kind of get hung up on the terminology and I get confused. It's like, are we talking about the IMS or these people? They're talking about these people. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit later than IMS, but they claim that for themselves. And so that's a, Good thing. That's a, for me, that's a big piece of knowledge I need to remember. Right. It's a little bit confusing. Yeah, it is. Then you start talking about the first throne. Yes. You assume it's for the first empire, but which first empire? Right. <laughs> yeah. I think this, yeah, there's, yeah, thank you. Now, there's a lot of first something. It's like, wait, 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 wait. We can't all be the first. So, <laughs> so yeah, that always kind of gets to me a little bit. But yes, this is a, that's a really big clarification early on that I've, you forget because, of, again, there is so much going on. Yeah. All right, Billy. Great job tonight. Hey, great episode, man. Really good episode. You got any final thoughts before we drop off here? No, just like I said, good episode. I don't know why I'm always fascinated by the idea of these ancient civilizations being found beneath the sands. It's probably because, you know, we have it on our world. We have no idea how many people, how many civilizations are buried beneath our sands and how long they've been buried there until we find them sometimes. And that doesn't even tell us when, but I just absolutely love this part of this 
when they find this place under here because they got a lot of get a lot of hp lovecraft it's it's real reminiscent of this is at the mountains of madness which is a big influence on carpenters the thing there's something involving weird stuff there but and including a shapeshifter hey i mean so you've got the <laughs> thing you've got the thing and you know and you've got lovecraft it's great crazy shout outs i think nice yeah i really appreciate his archaeology mm. and anthropology backgrounds coming to the fore with this type of stuff yes because they're so vivid i mean i feel that these are real places they are real places. i've read them enough time that it has entered my life you know about those you read something enough it enters your real life memory kind of deal it's like yours it's like okay these are places <laughs> yeah i'll be uh getting a horse and riding out into the holy desert Raraku. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice <laughs> Yeah, I am not getting on a horse again. <laughs> you might be able to get me on a camel, but no horse. <laughs> right. Oh, all right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see hey, you next y'all. week. Yeah, I'll see y'all next week. We thank you all for joining us today. Again, we'd really like to thank you for taking the time to be with us, and we've had a really great time talking about the topic today. If you would like to support our show, you can find us at horsefrogproductions.com, where you can find our Patreon link. Depending on the platform you're listening from, it may also be in the episode description. And if you'd like to contact us uh, through email, it's at contact at horsefrogproductions.com.